Your first conference was on the necessity of mental prayer. The second one was on the advantages of the retreat. And this one would be on our journey to eternity. And it's not always first class seat either. Um, we're all travelers on this earth. Often in my funeral sermons, I tell of the Rothschilds in England, how they built one of the England's most wealthy families, and the beautiful, magnificent mansion that they built, and always left part of it undone. In certain countries, if your construction's not done, you don't have to pay taxes on it. That's not why the Jews did not finish their building. They didn't finish it for religious reasons. It was a symbol that they understood that they are wayfarers. They're pilgrims in, in this life. We are not citizens of this world. We too are pilgrims on our way to eternity. <coughs> Before long, some of you will be some of us will be dislodged from this world. Before long, some of us, our bodies will be planted in the ground, in the grave, and the soul will enter into eternity. We would be guilty of great folly if we would consume all we have in building a most magnificent dwelling for ourselves here on earth when in a few short years, months, days, we will be leaving this place. Your souls are eternal. Once they are created, they will last until the end of time. Once they are created, they will last as long as God is God. We must then either enjoy God forever in heaven or lose God forever in hell. In eternity there are two places to dwell. The one, and that's where I was going with Narnia this morning, the little Edward, his whole delights was that Turkish taffy. That's all he wanted. That's all that made him happy. Uh, the one will be overflowing with delights and the other will be fraught with every torment possible. These delights and these torments are eternal. We read in sacred scripture, the tree shall fall to the south or to the north. And in that place, soever, wheresoever it falls, there it shall be and it shall lie forever. If the soul goes to the place of salvation, it will be happy there forever. If the soul goes to the place of damnation, it will weep and lament as long as God shall be God. There is no middle place. There is temporarily purgatory, but we're talking after the general judgment. One is forever a king in heaven, or one is forever a slave in hell. Forever serving our Lord, or forever serving Lucifer. Forever blessed in heaven, or forever in despair in hell. Which of these abodes 
will fall to you. I would say that which you voluntarily choose. He who goes to hell goes there of his own accord. Everyone that is damned is damned because he wills his own damnation. Either actively or passively. Would that we had always loved our Lord. Let it not be said of us that it, too late have I known thee. Too late have I loved thee. God must be the God of your heart tomorrow and today. He must be your portion forever. In the seminary, we received that glorious day when we received the cassock. Mine was much smaller when I received it. Uh, and when, in receiving the cassock and the surplice, there's a prayer that you put on. You say every morning as you put it on. And you ask for God to be your portion. The cassock is a symbol of giving up the delights of the world. Every Christian, in order to live well, ought to keep in mind eternity. How well regulated is the life of the man that lives with the light of eternity in his eyes, in his mind. If heaven, hell, and eternity were doubtful things, we still should work with all effort and energy to try to, to save our souls. They are not doubtful. These are truths of the Holy Catholic faith. They are articles of our faith. We cannot hold on to our fortunes of this world forever. They will be given up when your funeral procession go makes its way to the church and then the cemetery. All of your possessions will be disposed of when your body is laid in the grave. Only your lasting treasures go beyond the grave. Only those treasures that you should surely seek for. Treasures of your soul. Grace. God's love. God is our life. God is our riches. It is for us to please God the rest of the days of our lives. It should be our daily prayer that we have God's assistance. Because without it we will fall short. I quoted you St. Ignatius Loyola. What doth it profit a man if he gain the whole world and suffer the loss of his soul? One thought on eternity is enough to make a saint. St. Augustine called this the great thought. It is this thought that has sent so many young persons into the desert so many young persons to spill their blood for Christ so many young persons to abandon a sinful life and journey the road of virtue and of true life conversions are brought by considering always forever
How much depends upon the last moments of our life? Our last breath, on our last breath, depends our eternity, either happiness or misery, a life of eternal bliss or a life of eternal woe. Conversions are brought by considering always forever. Our Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross in order to secure for us the grace of this last moment. The plenary indulgence for one who reverently pronounces the words of our, the names of our Lord and Our Lady on their deathbed at the last moment. Don't count on it. You may not be given that grace. If he had not died for us on the cross, we would lose all hope of eternity, eternal happiness. It's folly not to think of eternity. Either we believe or we do not believe. Either we do not believe in everything we do as a fable. But if we do believe, we do too little to obtain a happy eternity and to avoid eternal misery. Father Karatha said that if men thoroughly knew the truths of eternity, and compared the goods and evils of this life with those of the next, the world would become as a desert, because there would be none that would attend to the affairs of this life. They would be attending to the affairs of the next life. When the last moment is at hand, you shall tremble at the thought that on the next few moments depends the eternity of happiness or misery. Months and years have passed away, and yet every day we are approaching closer to eternity, and we think so little of it. Many of you are perhaps preppers. I think that's a new word in the last few years. A prepper. You're preparing for the worst. Food, protection, sustenance, water. This year or month may be our last. This conference might be our last warning of what we may receive from Almighty God. We can no longer, dear men, put it off to tomorrow, kick the can down the street, we can no longer abuse God's graces. God does make it known to us what He wills. And with His grace, He gives us the courage to be obedient. It's very wrong for us to ignore the many lights, calls, warnings from Almighty God. Many of you have children in school. Their summer vacation just began a couple weeks ago. But we know that it will, for them, end too soon. That was always the happiest day of my life, the last day of school. The worst day of my life was the first day every year. Will our souls be saved at the end of our summer, so to speak? Now is the time for the kids to enjoy their summer. Now is the time for you 
to seek reconciliation with God. At death and after death, there's no remedy. We have to do it now. It's crazy for one to think that they can live at a distance from God all their life and hope to be united to Him in eternity. The business of eternity is our only business, says St. Paul. We shall one day live in an asylum of the insane and the damned, or we shall live in the palace of unimaginable delights. The choice is ours. One day we will be happy with the saints and angels in heaven, or live in despair with the multitude of inmates of hell, the enemies of God. If we die in our sins, we shall lose God forever. There's no reason to die in one's sin. You have confession so often. The priest does not know your voice. It doesn't matter if he did. I can say with all honesty that everyone here is my friend. And there's no greater joy that a priest has than restoring a friend to the friendship of our Lord Jesus Christ. We should ask for immediate pardon. We should ask God for immediate forgiveness. We should promise true and immediate sorrow and resolution to serve Him evermore. Upon many during life, it makes little impression to hear of judgment, heaven, and hell, and eternity. But in the heart, What dread and terror do these truths excite? They then excite with little fruit. At the the end of one's life, near death, right now they can produce fruit in us. They can scare us into subjection. But then, they'll still scare us, and even more so. But there will be little turning to Almighty God then. St. Therese used to say, Remind her religious, one soul, one eternity. By which she meant that if the soul is lost, all is lost. And if the soul is lost, it is lost for eternity. Despite what Russell Crowe and his, what he write on the Noah, the movie on Noah, where the angels, the fallen angels came out of hell, helped Noah build the ark and went to heaven doesn't happen that way. Once they're there, they're there. Few of us are spring chickens. More of the men here are younger than the ladies were here. Perhaps we spent many years offending Almighty God. There's only so much time remaining to us. Let us make the greatest use of this time in the service of God. What would it not a dying man give for another day, another hour? I only met one man that uh, was seem- seemingly perfectly resigned. I went to anoint him, and only then did his family tell, him, tell me, Father, he doesn't know he's dying. And I said, didn't you tell him? They said, no, we were afraid to. 
So I lean over him. He looks fine, but his heart's going. And he says, Father, am I dying? I said, yes, you are. And he said, oh, okay. And then, and then we proceeded with the sacraments. He seemed to be much at peace. He was a very good man. He did die within days later. What would a dying man give for another day or another hour? If this man squandered his whole life, he wouldn't. He won't value. He might want it, but he won't value what little time he has left. He won't put it to good use. Pain of the body, lightness of the head, due to medicines, these all hinder the dying soul from tending to the salvation of his soul. When you put somebody totally out of pain, you also forfeit their intellectual faculties. There needs to be a trade-off. You don't want it to be a pain that they can't endure or pain that causes them to spare, but some of that pain may be for our salvation as well. Then the soul is alive to nothing but distress, which overpowers it, and which the soul cannot alleviate. It would want there to be more time, but it sees that there is no more time for it. That man that I had known, he obviously knew he was dying, even though his family didn't tell him. People know that. Father Jenkins and I have had many conversations about that. When someone has called us to the hospital, they say that they're dying. The doctors say, oh no, they're fine. They'll be home in three or four days. Then the next day or so they're dead. That happens. And what hour you think not the Son of Man will come? God conceals the time of death. Why does he do so? That you and I might always be prepared. If you don't know it's coming, you're going to prepare for it. The time of death is not the time to prepare oneself to give an account of his life. But he should already be prepared. Right now, while you're strong and young, you prepare. St. Bernard said, in order to die well, we must be ever prepared to die. We should prepare for our death while we're full of life. And let us not abuse the patience of Almighty God. We must profit by the time that has left us. What torment is there to those who at the point of death have left things undone? St. Lawrence Justinian says that the worldling in death will willingly give all their riches to obtain but one more hour of life. It will be intimated to them to depart without delay. They will hear in their conscience, go forth, Christian soul, out of this world. St. Gregory relates that a certain Grisorius, being at the point of death, he cried out to the demons that were afflicting him, give me time until tomorrow. And the demons responded back to Chrysorius, Fool that thou hast had it. And what did the and 
Why did thou lose, didst thou lose it? Now there is no more time for thee. We need to apply this to ourselves. How much time have we lost? Years? Decades? The remainder of our time ought to be entirely devoted to the service of God. Holy love abounds in the soul in which has abandoned sin. This is the astounding thing that St. Bernard says that every moment of time in this life is as precious as God because every moment by an act of love or contrition we may acquire a new degree of grace. We may even acquire salvation. St. Bernard says that time is a treasure to be found only in this life. In hell, the lamentations of the damned is, oh, if one hour were given to us. If we had but one hour in which to escape this eternal ruin. In heaven, there is no weeping. But if the blessed could weep, they would weep at the thought of having lost during their lives portions of time in which they might have acquired a higher degree of glory. I didn't have the privilege of a Catholic school many of our youth have today, but I did have a third grade teacher named Mrs. Alexander. She was in third grade. She was probably five foot five and looked like a giant to us. Every day she would say, a moment lost can never be regained. And I remember that some 50, 55 years ago. A moment lost can never be regained. She meant it in a very natural way. She's a good woman. But we need, we need to cross the bridge and apply that in the supernatural. So many opportunities of grace we have that we do not take advantage of. We do not deserve the pity of our Lord, nor do we deserve His mercy. But our Lord, as you see in the beautiful painting above the altar, reaches His hand out to Francis and embraces Him as Francis embraces our Lord. Picture yourself there. But very applicable to us, you notice this Francis's right foot is standing on the world, trampling the things of this world for the things of God. We must do that. We all can. Whether we are a farmer or a painter or a professor or in finance or medic or military police officer, we can all do that. We may be surprised by a sudden death which will deprive us of all time. All time for making an account of our lives. The many who have died suddenly, they didn't expect to die suddenly. And if they were in sin, what has become of them? If they had committed sin and looked at the confession line, oh, it's too long. It's too long. Or oh, I have to get up another 15 minutes early to get to church or something. Uh, we'll do it later. We'll go to confession later. If one commits sin, they should run to the confession. 
The saints thought that they did but very little in preparing their themselves, even though some of them prepared their whole lives to secure a good end. Father Avila, when it was announced to him that he was about to die, he said, oh, that I had but a little more time to prepare myself. He was a good soul, but he still wanted more time to prepare himself. He was inadequately prepared, he thought. We delay and may make a wicked and miserable end. And then we'll leave it to others to see the justice of Almighty God. He will call against me the time. We must tremble and not live that God may hereafter, as judge of our ingratitude, call against us the time, which is his mercy. He now bestows on us. When I was a young boy, I was at one time, worked on farms, had several farmers, one he was Protestant, he had twin sons, they were Protestant, they each had farms, a couple of Catholic farmers. Well there was one in particular, very nice man, his name was Norm. He was a Protestant minister who bought a farm. Never used a cuss word, never used bad language, started eating meat on a uh, fish on Fridays because of the Catholic boys working for him and things. When he first became a farmer he had a lot to learn. I was 14, 15, 16, 17, I still knew some more than what he knew about farming. He would bail hay at 10 o'clock at night. You know what that means? The hay's wet it has to be dry. If it's wet by the evening dew, you can't bail it. It'll, it'll mold. It might even combust in the hot summer days like this under a tin roof and things. Well, we would go out the next day and start picking the bales up to put them on the wagons. And we hit ourselves in the chin with our hands. The strings would be so loose because the hay was so wet and so heavy, you couldn't properly store the stuff. Okay, he was making hay when it was dark. Walk while you have light. Work while you have light. The night cometh when no man can work. The little farm boy understands that in a very serious way whenever he re remembers past mistakes. St. Andrew Avellino trembled saying, Who knows whether I shall be saved or lost? All the Protestants know they're saved. Us poor Catholics, we don't have any idea. St. Andrew Evelyn, who knows whether I shall be saved or lost. He was so careful always to be united to God. And he still had this doubt. What about us? Do we have a doubt with what we do with our carelessness? How is it possible that one who believes that he must die and go into eternity should not give himself wholly to God? We cannot wait, dear men, to embrace God until He consigns us to death. From this very moment, we must embrace our Lord. You should be that monk up there on the altar in those robes embracing our Lord. Let us fill our hearts with the love of God, our only good. I want you to please consider sin. 
that which separates us from the love of God, namely mortal sin. According to St. Thomas Aquinas, according to St. Augustine, two of the greatest doctors of the church, mortal sin is a turning away from God. It's an act of contempt for His grace and His love. It is the throwing off of all respect for God before the face of God, by which manner we declare as was declared several thousand years ago, I will not serve. I will not serve thee. I will do as I please. It doesn't matter to me if doing what I please displeases you. I have chosen to forfeit our friendship. That's what everybody says when they commit a mortal sin. To understand how great is the malice of mortal sin, we must first know what man is. We must first know what God is. Before God, let me start with the man first. Look at man. Look at those blood vessels. Look at those blood cells. Look at those bones. Look at those muscles and tissues and cartilage and things and neutrons and nerves and things in his brain that communicates to the rest. Look at what a glorious piece of creation he is. The angels are much greater in their creation. They're not formed of parts like us. Our parts wear out. We have to go to the store and get replacements. What is God? Before God, before God, all the angels and saints are as nothing. And shall a worm of the earth have insolence to insult God? Every spring before you get here, we have tiny little worms that crawl in under every door because of the water level being so high out there, they try to escape drowning. We sweep them up and toss them back outside and they end up fertilizing the ground. Can you imagine if one of those worms raised its fist to me? It'd be all over my heel. And yet we do that to God when we choose to commit sin. Man, by committing sin, not only insults a God of infinite majesty, but a God who has so loved him. A God who has died to retrieve his love, to gain his love. And eternity, therefore, would not be sufficient to lament, bewail, bemoan a single mortal sin. A whole eternity. He who commits it dishonors God by preferring a vapor, a fit of madness, a wretched gratification before God, a God so great, a God so good. If our Lord had not sacrificed himself on the cross for love of us, we should lose all hope of pardon. The death of Christ on the cross gives us great confidence. Every night the priest, in praying Compline, commends his soul to God, who has been pleased to shed his blood in sacrifice for that soul. Having learned his love for us, 
Can we rationally ever separate ourselves from him again? It is a great affliction to be injured by one who has done so much for us. God is not capable of grief, but if he could grieve, he would die of grief, of sorrow, at being despised by so miserable creatures for whom he gave his own life. We should grieve more, as you know, for having offended God than for the punishments which we deserve. God is good, and we know that the inmates of hell do not suffer what they deserve, do not suffer equal to their offense. They now know that their desire of immediate gratification has caused them to forfeit what would have been their greatest never-ending happiness. We know that in hell is the most horrible punishment, and yet we have no fear of sin, which may cast us there. We know that God has died in order that he might pardon us our sins, and yet we continue to commit sin. What would you think if I said your car just blew up? And if you're young, you might say, well, I still have five pavements on it. If you're middle-aged or older, you might say, well, I've worked all my life to have a nice luxury car. The loss of the least worldly good makes us uneasy, makes us sad, and does the loss of God by sin fill us with that same feeling of sadness? It should overwhelm us with affliction. It should overwhelm us with grief, not just for now, not just tomorrow, but for the rest of our lives. Do you remember the story, I believe it was St. Ambrose and his dog? Saint An- this is not my notes, so I try to remember it. St. Ambrose had a dog, and St. Ambrose also had a sense of humor. And one day he chose to put on a mask, come home and scare his dog. Well, his dog bit him. He quickly took off the mask, and his dog saw that it was his master, and went whimpering around, hid under a building and died of a broken heart. That was an animal. That was a beast. That was a canine. What are we capable of when we bite our master, so to speak? If we're going to mourn anything, we should mourn our offenses against God. We should abhor them as the greatest of evils. We must pray for sorrow. We must pray for greater love of God. Not so much as because of the punishments they deserve, but because we have offended someone so amiable, so lovable. Fear agitates the courier who is afraid of delivering to his prince an offensive message. Do we, who know for certain that we have displeased God, 
We have oftentimes delivered him unpleasant messages of our own rebellion. Have we at times forfeited his friendship? Do we live tranquil without having the least grief of soul? Our lives should be one of continual grief for what we've done to our Lord. What care do not men make take to avoid poisons? In a few weeks, we're going to have the Board of Health here checking every bottle, making sure it's labeled, bleach, detergent, water, Windex, whatever it is. They're going to want everything labeled so our little kitties do not drink the poison. We take great care to avoid that which destroys the body. And yet we're so negligent in taking care of that which destroys the soul, which robs us of grace, sin, avoiding serious sin. Let us not be ensnared, dear men, to commit sin by that fraud of the devil. He may suggest to you, don't worry about it. Confessions tomorrow morning. Don't worry about it. You can hereafter confess it. How many has the enemy of God drawn into hell with this plan? Don't worry about it. Go to the bar. Get drunk. Use illegal drugs. Commit sin. you got time to confess it. You're Catholic. For how many years have we deserved to dwell in hell? God has been patient with you and me. God has patiently waited for us that we may forever bless Him, that we may turn to Him. If after so many graces we offend God again, let us renew our sorrow and resolution to offend Him no more. To outrage God because God is forgiving, as we do in mortal sin, is to deride Him. Scripture says God is not mocked. The devil will say to us, who knows? Even with this sin, it may be that you may still be forgiven. You may still be saved. Yes, we may be saved. But it is more likely that we will be damned. A colleague of mine who was ordained, I'll leave the name out because of the recording, uh, was one day in a shop. He was without his collar. And I thought this was rather clever of that priest. The man beside him says, I'll be damned. And this priest said, you probably will be. When he said that, I thought that was rather clever of him to say that. And it stuck with me. I heard that 30 years ago. It may be that you are sa- will be saved, but if you're willing to commit a serious sin, you probably will be damned. And is, is the affair of eternal salvation to be risked? Who knows? You might be saved. Is it to be risked? It is possible that we will die in the meantime before we get to confession. What is going to happen to our soul then? How many are now suffering in hell for fewer sins than what you have committed? Some of you are pretty good guys. Let us never more be devoted to ourselves 
Let us be devoted to God, to God alone. To God, we must consecrate our liberty. We must consecrate our will. We must pray that God saves me from hell, that God saves me from sin, that God saves me from myself. The fathers of the church tell us that God has determined the number of sins which he will forgive each one of us. And the number may vary. And there won't be any fighting at the last judgment. Well, you forgave him two sins more than you did me. There are people in hell with fewer sins than you have. And than I have. Because we do not know the number of sins which he will forgive us, we should be fearful that any additional sin might be the one that goes beyond God's count and then he does not give us the grace which it requires to even abandon a sinful life. And that therefore it's impossible to save our souls. This ignorance, not knowing how many sins God will forgive us, ought to be a great restraint upon us to keep us from offending God. He has favored us much more with his lights and grace than he has others. And so to those whom he has favored, they should be most afraid of being abandoned by God. Catholics should be most afraid because they've been given so many wonderful sacraments, helps. We should be most afraid. St. Thomas Aquinas says, that the grievousness of sin increases in proportion to the ingratitude by which the sin is committed. Woe to the Catholic who after having been enriched with graces of God offends him mortally. God has showered countless mercies and favors upon us and yet we have despised him in return. Enlightenment and strength are much needed to remain faithful to God. Sin in a Catholic person strikes with horror heaven and obliges God to turn himself away from us. He who has not a great dread of mortal sin is not far from falling into mortal sin. It is not only necessary to flee from mortal sin, but we must also flee from venial sin. This is something that struck me this retreat. Little negligence, but voluntary, do not kill the soul, but they weaken it. That's not what struck me. It's the quote from St. Therese in just a few seconds. And so that on occasion of a grievous temptation, one will not have the strength to resist because of all the venial sins. You get a bladder full of water and you punch little holes in it, squirting out all over the place, real soon that, that, that bladder of water is going to be so dry because of all the venial sins. St. Therese says, a deliberate venial sin does more harm than all the devils in hell can do. That's amazing. God has done so much to oblige us to love him. With this knowledge, it was St. Dominic Savio 
who resolve to die rather than to commit sin. We'll close with those thoughts, please.